AI inventions, are they patentable? Welcome to Cutmails in Conversation. I'm your host, Lara Elder, and I'm very excited about today's topic, which really is at the cutting edge of technology and IP. Artificial intelligence or AI is, of course, a hot topic in the news more generally at the moment, and it raises many interesting questions and challenges in the field of IP. I think you'll recently have heard in particular about chat GPT, which has hit the news big time. You might even have experimented with it. It's a language model that can assist with tasks such as composing emails or essays or birthday cards to your mum. Even patent claims I've heard from some of my colleagues. And it's been variously hailed the biggest disruptor since the advent of the internet and the end of human civilization as we know it. It seems to have caused a certain amount of existential angst even amongst lawyers. Is it going to replace us? Anyway, we're going to resist entering that febrile debate today and we'll talk instead about some of the other exciting applications of AI and machine learning technology that have been facilitating or continue to facilitate some pretty amazing advances in healthcare and other areas. I'm delighted to be joined by my colleague, Dan Gowdy, who is a member of our engineering and tech team here at Cartmel's and who has promised to explain this highly technical area in good plain English, which is certainly music to my ears. Dan, welcome. Thanks for having me. I guess we should start with something pretty broad, particularly for the benefit of people like me who don't really have much of a clue about what these technologies actually are. So can you tell us, I mean, what is AI? What is machine learning? Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, of course. There's quite a lot of terms that you'll hear thrown around in this space. So you can hear artificial intelligence, machine learning, neural networks. It's actually not, I suppose, as complicated as some of those terms make out. The broadest term is artificial intelligence. And that's really any technique that computers are using to effectively mimic human intelligence. That is a very broad word. It ends up being the word that you often hear used in marketing. Oftentimes, what is actually being done when people are using the AI term is something that we call machine learning. So that's going to be the bulk of the discussion today. It's the bulk of where we see a lot of patent applications being focused on. And so just to get the head around the terms, when we're talking about AI, for the breadth of this conversation, it's going to be mainly machine learning. What that machine learning is actually doing is effectively a technique that allows machines to learn relationships between an input and an output. And as a result, it can be used for predicting outputs. So what machine learning is getting at is effectively using a tool to process large amounts of data, doing it in the way that is designed similar to the human mind, which is why you hear neural networks as a type of machine learning, but effectively leveraging the tools of the computer to learn new relationships between inputs and outputs. And I guess unlike humans, the computer can remember everything and process much larger sets of data. Yes, that's correct. Okay. So it's a kind of pattern recognition. What are you seeing companies using machine learning for? What kind of areas of patent applications are we talking about? So it shows up in a massive breadth 
of technical areas. We're seeing all across the medical space, people innovating around these solutions. I think there is sort of a key distinction to be made about where we see our clients focusing. One is the actual AI itself. So you have some clients who are interested in developing these models and developing the mathematical tools for actually designing the AI itself. There's also the bulk of this comes in what we can consider applied AI. So you can get a patent effectively if you've designed new AI itself, but you can also get a patent if you've taken known tools and you're applying them to a new technical area. And the latter is where we see the bulk of this work coming from. So clients who are interested in just take an example, image processing of a mole, that the machine learning can be used as a tool that is used by the surgeon to effectively get a better prediction because you are training a model and that model can be used to get better results than would be usually available by the human eye. So this level of predictive behavior is where we see a lot of the work focusing on. Yeah, so we're talking in that example about skin moles, I guess, <laughs> in the medical context and not furry animals. But yeah, so the computer can effectively look at far more examples and be better at picking up differences is what you're saying. And I know it can sometimes be trickier to get patent protection for software than for, say, your sort of classical mechanical inventions. Is the same true for machine learning? How patentable is it? Is it a tricky area to get patent protection? There are some pitfalls with getting patent protection. So if we have clients who are interested in using a machine learning process, there's sort of three main requirements of patentability that become relevant. Of course, for any patent, it needs to be novel and inventive over what already exists. Those are fairly standard tests, actually. So they don't vary significantly from what a patentee with a more traditional portfolio might expect. Novelty is fairly standard. Inventive step is also actually quite standard. And you might think that it would be incredibly problematic. But what you need to think of a machine learning algorithm as is effectively a tool. So even if the tool is not new, but you are applying the tool to a new purpose in an interesting way, it should be okay to argue for the inventiveness of that. It's worth noting that the EPO... So this is the European Patent Office. Yes, the European Patent Office doesn't like granting applications to non-technical purposes because they are deemed to be excluded from patentability. So in most cases, if you are applying a machine learning model for solving a technical problem in a technical area, that is typically going to meet the requirements of patentability. If we take our example earlier of using image processing to visualize and detect cancer in a skin mole, that would likely be deemed to be technical because it is improving patient outcomes. If you were applying a machine learning model for a non-technical purpose, so anything administrative or business related, it's likely not going to be patentable, but it's still a classical sense of, is this technical or not? The fact that a machine learning algorithm is present 
it's really just a tool that's being used in the claim in most instances. Now, this is that applied AI sort of invention. If you are looking to patent the AI itself, the core AI, there's other things you need to consider, particularly because the EPO, the patent office, deems mathematical methods to be non-patentable subject matter. And so if you're a client that is interested in the AI itself, there are other things that you may want to consider about how you frame your invention. But as you're saying, most of what we're seeing coming through our doors, at least, is these applied types of AI. So you've talked about the kind of standard tests for patentability that, from what I'm hearing, are not treated so differently, really, in this context. Are there any other particular issues that machine learning inventions face? Yes. So whilst the novelty and inventive step arguments tend to be relatively standard, the issue that we've been seeing is really all about sufficiency. That seems to be the major point that is a sticking point for a lot of applications in progressing them to grant. Forgive me, I'm not a patent attorney. Can you remind me what sufficiency means and why it's important? Yes, of course. So the end result of a patent is that you get a monopoly for potentially up to 20 years. So you get exclusive rights once that is granted. The trade-off for that monopoly is that you have to teach through the application itself how to actually put the invention into effect. So it's not sufficient to say, this is my invention, this is my monopoly, this is what I'm protecting, if you cannot explain to what we call the skilled person, so someone in that field, how to actually reproduce that. That is the trade-off that's baked into patent laws around the world. Why that becomes quite problematic in machine learning algorithms is because it can be deemed to be not sufficiently described in a way that allows that model to be reproducible. And that is an issue that a lot of other bits of computer-related inventions don't suffer from. And perhaps a good way to explain this is to take a simple example about image processing. So we said at the beginning of the chat that a machine learning algorithm is effectively learning a relationship between an input and an output. And the reason you do this is because you can train that model to detect patterns, but that means that the data that you provide at the beginning will actually define how the machine learning model works. So you could imagine a case where you're trying to distinguish between dogs and birds, and you provide thousands of pictures of dogs, thousands of pictures of birds, you tell the machine learning algorithm which is which, and then you let it figure out the patterns. And it might figure out some very intelligent ways of distinguishing between a dog and a bird. Well, that's all well and good, but then let's say I give that machine learning model an image of a cat. Well, it is very likely going to think it's a dog as opposed to a bird because it may have figured out that something with fur is always a dog. So you can start to see that the machine learning model ends up being effectively limited by the amount of data you give it. And that becomes quite obvious in that example that a cat and a dog are more similar than a dog and a bird. But what happens when all of the images of the dog are taken from a sideways direction, where 
the other animals taken straight on. Well, what might happen is the machine learning model isn't actually learning how to distinguish between these two. What it's actually doing is very easily discovering that if you see the side of an animal, it's a dog. And if you see the front of an animal, it's a cat, for example. Similarly, if you're trying to distinguish between dogs and cats, if all the cats are one color, but all the dogs are another color, the machine learning model might learn that an orange image is effectively a cat. And so you can see quite quickly that even if you explain that a machine learning model is used in a functional way, that's not going to necessarily allow the skilled person to reproduce the output. And the output of that machine learning model is oftentimes the technical advantage you're trying to do. So if you're trying to claim the output of the model, that output is not reproducible unless you teach the skilled person the data that's required to train that model. Yeah, I can see that. Funnily enough, it's making me think about my toddler who is going through that phase of learning different animals and trying to recognize patterns just like you've been describing. And rather hilariously, the other day, he saw a Dalmatian wandering down the road and started mooing at it because he's seen lots of pictures of black and white animals in our books and he thinks it's a cow. <laughs> yeah, it's a great analogy. And what you're saying is it's really important to know what we're putting into the machine learning to enable it to produce the output. Exactly. So we can think of a machine learning model as effectively being a bit like a toddler, and it has to get sufficient information until it is going to give an accurate result. Now, what that information has to be and what the threshold for sufficiency actually is, is actually a bit of a difficult metric. You can imagine if I were to take that data set that I've used to train my model and I just put it in the patent application, then it's incredibly clear that I've taught the skilled person one way of reproducing that model. And that's probably going to be deemed sufficient. But you may find that a lot of clients don't wish to share that information. And you might find that the amount of information that would be required to put in the application would be a very high burden. And you may have an application that ends up being 500 pages long just to incorporate that data set. So you might find that it is effectively too much of a burden for some applicants to include that information. And I guess, as you say, some applicants are reluctant to share that data as well because there might be confidentiality issues, all sorts of things I can imagine. Yes. So there's a few things to consider when you're drafting these applications. We've been talking a lot about something very vague that can relate inputs to outputs. But as you can imagine, what's happening inside that algorithm is actually quite complex. And there are a variety of different architectures that are used. There's a variety of different training techniques that are used. And of course, the data itself that is used to train are all effectively essential for defining that invention. So the more information that you can provide, the better. But there might be potentially inventive ways to overcome that. So you can imagine that describing the architecture that was selected is likely necessary, but perhaps you explain methods for generating that data set that are reproducible in of themselves so that a skilled person would learn how to generate the data. Perhaps it would be sufficient to explain 
the training in more detail, as well as parameters that were considered by the designer. So in the examples we spoke of earlier, the color of the fur of the dog, the orientation of the dog, the sitting position of the dog, if all of these things can be described and effectively normalized and described in sufficient detail that someone reading the application would effectively come to the same machine learning model if they follow those instructions might be one way of allowing the application to have a higher rate of success. But it's worth noting that this is still a developing field of technology. The European Patent Office has made it clear that functional definitions are not sufficient, but the amount of detail to meet the sufficiency requirement is still, I suppose, a bit in flux whilst the technology area is being developed so quickly. Which is why we need clever people like you to sit and think about it and tell us the best strategy at any given point in time. Well, look, Dan, we've covered a lot there today. Thank you very much for your interesting insights and especially those very clear examples in plain English that I'm sure are appreciated, well, certainly by me and others who have at best a tenuous grasp of this area of technology. If listening to this episode has provoked thoughts, comments or questions, I'm sure Dan or colleagues in our technology team would be happy to hear from you. Otherwise, thank you very much for listening and we look forward to welcoming you back for another episode of Cartmel's in Conversation very soon. Mm-hmm.